Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash, like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP, but don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Know-how. General states pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Welcome back to Collider Movie Talk. On today's show, we are discussing a very spoilery story for Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home. And then on top of that, looks like the new Barbie movie just got a pair of writers. And it is a very unusual choice that I am so excited to discuss with this panel, as you watch this show right now, we are likely in transit. We are going to San Diego Comic-Con, so you're going to have so much Comic-Con coverage coming your way on the channel real soon. But right now, we've got two hot stories to get to, and I get to talk to Jabby and Roca with these two. What's up? What's up? You know, they told me... I can't wait to get to that second story. Yeah, they told me Greg <laughs> Alba was going to be on the show. I, oh, you know what? That's not uh, cool. You know... People always confuse us. That's not cool. <laughs> wait, YouTube, I get Jabby. I remembered. Yeah, it was just Jeffy. late. There you is go. That, is no, that I mean, it? The, yeah, that's my YouTube okay. website. Yes. There was like mm-hmm. a formal introduction that was supposed to happen, I, and I already botched it. I post some videos there every now and then, you know. <laughs> He's got like seven accounts. I can't follow him. <laughs> There's seven accounts, and they're all huge. I, I don't know you how on you do it. Toes, dude. I know, man. <laughs> all right, let's dig into this first story, and I apologize in advance because it requires a lot of information to tee this one up. So... Warning right now, we are talking Spider-Man Far From Home spoilers. If you have not seen the movie yet, this is not the story for you. Scroll ahead to Barbie. That might be for you. All right, here we go. Spoilers. In the final movie, Spider-Man Far From Home, Mysterio has no powers at all with his shows of heroism being crafted solely using Stark Industries technology. But in a very early version of Spider-Man Far From Home, there was one more major reveal when it came to Mysterio. He was a scroll. Our own Adam Chitwood recently spoke to Far From Home screenwriters, Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, and he asked them about crafting the scroll's reveal. Summers teased that a very early version of the movie featured Mysterio as a scroll. Here is the specific quote he gave. 
There were some early, early versions of this movie where Mysterio was a scroll. There were a lot of scroll versions of the story early on. When you're doing a con artist movie, what we finally landed on, we sat down and talked about how do we keep on fooling the audience? How do we keep on having a lot of fun reveals? How many distractions can we get away with before people want to murder us? The Mysterio scroll reveal was an early idea about why he was doing everything he was doing. So what do you guys think about this idea? And are you glad that they wound up ditching it? It's a fascinating idea because the scrolls are the good guys in this universe with what we saw and revealed in the movie uh, with Talos and with Soren being Nick Fury and Ray Hill in the movie. So you're like, well, why would Mysterio be a scroll attacking Spider-Man? That puts a whole nother spin on the scrolls being part of this universe because now, because Secret Invasion, which is the storyline they might be exploring in Phase 4, is the scrolls coming to Earth with their ability to transform and shapeshift into different characters. It looks like the Kree are going to assume that with the technology from from Stark Industries that Mysterio used. So it would have, in in essence, sparked the possibility of a civil war within the Skrulls using the Earth as the battlefield. So it's interesting. I have a question for you, though. This this might be me misinterpreting Captain Marvel a little bit, but Mm -hmm. is there any possibility that there's, like, another subsection of the Skrull Skrull kind out there that they, that, let's say, this Mysterio Skrull could have been part of? I think there's certainly a possibility, but they haven't showed it to us yet, so we can only work with what we've been given. And in Captain Marvel, the Skrulls turn out to be all good guys, mm-hmm. and Kree, which is the reverse in the comics. The Kree are the good guys, and the Skrull are the shape-shifting evil people in the Secret Invasion. So this would have been interesting if they'd done this route, because, like I said, it essentially brings up a civil war on Earth, and, uh, you know, I love civil wars on Earth like Transformers, so yeah. uh, that would have been possible. You know, it wasn't until this article, that I read this article, that I realized that it was a con artist film. Like, I didn't think of it that mm-hmm. way, and there was a lot of reveals along the way, and I think that it would have just been too much. I think it was smart that they didn't do that, mm-hmm. because it would have been, like, just another layer, and I'm like, you did, a, you did enough. I like the movie as it is. Yeah, I agree, too. It's hard to weigh in so heavily when I don't necessarily know the future of the scrolls right, in the right, MCU. Right. I have my ideas. You have taught me about swords, so I do have <laughs> a feeling they are a heavy component up there with yeah. Nick Fury kind of maybe guiding them or even leading them to an extent, mm. but... I keep thinking about what being a scroll could have done for Mysterio, what it could have been doing for Quentin Beck as a character, and I can't find anything about that that would enhance him as a character and also serve the MCU overall versus what we got as a human being mm-hmm. using uh, Stark technology. Yeah, my, I mean, my first question was why? Why this? Yeah. Even the reveal of Nick Fury being a scroll. in, I mean, as far as... I know he's actually in the yeah. space station thing. Like, mm-hmm. but why? I mean, I'm sure we'll get an answer later on, but it's just like, but why? Like, why did that have to be? Like, how does that enhance anything? You oh, know? you mean the ending of the movie? The the you're movie, asking, yeah. actually asking that yeah. question. Oh, well, I think because Nick wanted to keep tabs on Spider-Man to see what he could do. Talos has obviously been working with Nick for like three decades now since Captain Marvel, or two and a half decades. And so he's like figuring out what he can do on Earth. And Nick Fury can't be everywhere at once. So him being up on S.W.O.R.D. is his way of kind of protecting the Earth while putting his uh, people that he he's worked with before down there plus a whole scroll crew they're all going to be loyal to him so just in case this doesn't turn out so well and they need extra firepower they have the scroll so that's what nick fury is do 
doing? Is it wise? We'll find out because mm-hmm. obviously Nick's old now. He's an older guy. Can't do all the work like a young man used to at the beginning of the Avengers. So you got to farm it out a little bit in certain moments. So we'll I, see. I do mm-hmm. wonder if maybe in this version of the script, uh, Maria Hill and Nick Fury weren't even scrolls, And it's maybe they possible. flip-flopped it, in which case mm-hmm. it wouldn't necessarily be too much. But I was just so pleasantly surprised by the return of the scrolls at all because I thought they wrapped it up in Captain Marvel in a way that they essentially put a bow on top of it and could have sent them off and we might never have seen them also because before Captain Marvel had come out we had gotten so like neck deep in the whole secret invasion idea like oh which Avenger is really a scroll and I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route in the end because this feels fun and fresh and a little bit different and it's got a lot of potential for the future but I, I just can't I can't quite figure out how big of a role they're going to play because I don't necessarily want them to just be like, I don't even want to reduce them to this verbally right now, but I don't want them to be like Nick Fury's minions, if you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I just want Talos to have a really important leadership-type role going mm-hmm. forward. And I imagine that what's happening here is that we lost certain Avengers. Mm-hmm. Other ones are off dealing with other things. And so Nick Fury needs to spend his time in multiple places. So I wonder if they're going to use this tool repetitively as the MCU continues. Uh, I hope they don't. Uh, I think it should be just like a... a in emergency break class type of situation with Talos and with Soren and with the rest of the scrolls, like use them when they have to use them, depending on what the Creed do, depending on who's going to be the big bad in phase four. And there's a lot of people to, just to throw this out there too, who don't think Quentin Beck actually died at the end of Spider-Man. So he could still mm. end up being a scroll in that way. So who knows? All right, wait, I got to weigh in on that. Yeah, so yeah. I understand <laughs> why some think that, and there's definitely a possibility that they could be right. Sure. I fall on the opposite okay. side. And I keep thinking about something like just because yesterday on movie talk, we were talking about, uh, we were talking about uh, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of him committing to that movie for a single movie is why he probably did it. And with someone like Jake Gyllenhaal, who's such a great variety on his resume, mm-hmm. I just have a feeling that he committed to one movie. Movie, mm. And he committed to the one and only movie and that's it. But the other idea that has been on my mind a little bit is let's say Quentin Beck is really dead. There's no one to say that his likeness can't come back, right. especially with all the technology that right. still exists out there. So while I am inclined to say that Jake Gyllenhaal likely signed on for one single Marvel movie, one single Marvel commitment the idea of someone using Quentin Beck's likeness to continue this kind of thing they've got going on in the post credit scene, I, I kind of like that from a storytelling yeah. perspective. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I don't think it would have helped the story at all. <laughs> <laughs> there you I'm go. Just, I mean, it would undermine everything that was established in the film. You know, mm-hmm. his 10-minute monologue. Yeah. I liked how it was. I liked his him exiting the film, dying. I, I mean, I thought it was cool. And, and to yeah. make him a skull would be like, what? what was all that about then? Like, why did you... That backstory was just for your character as a scroll. Like, yeah, yeah, I think you make a great point, Javi. Because also, when you look at Vulture, the thing that's great about the Spider-Man series is the both of these villains have been on the ground villains. They're not villains that are out there with superpowers. There are regular people who got screwed over by the Avengers in some different way and are now villains because they're angry about how they were treated. Both Quentin Beck and uh, Vulture in the first movie, they're angry about how they were treated. So that would have removed that kind of groundedness that the Spider-Man universe is uniquely doing in the MCU. Yeah, I thought he was a great villain. All right. (laughs) 
That was an interesting discussion. A huge thanks to Adam Chitwood for asking that great question. So we could discuss it on today's show. We are spoiler free now as we lead you into our promos for Collider because it is a big week here. It is San Diego Comic-Con week. We have so much going on. We are going to cover a whole bunch of the really hot panels. And you could find those panel recaps and reviews right here on the Collider Video YouTube channel. Also, keep an eye on the Collider Interview YouTube channel because there's going to be so much San Diego Comic-Con content over there as well. Then, if you're on the ground in San Diego, we've got a whole bunch of things you have to attend yourself. Kicking that list off with the Cobra Kai panel on Thursday. That one takes place at 445 in Ballroom 20. I am beyond honored to host that one. After that, Friday morning at 11 a.m., our own Steve Weintraub is hosting a conversation with the Russo brothers in Hall H., be sure to check that one out. And then we are wrapping up our San Diego Comic-Con 2019 with our own panel. That is happening in room 6DE at 1230. A whole bunch of us are going to be there. We're going to say hi after. We're going to take your questions during the panel. It's going to be a great time. I hope to see you there. Story number two today. This, is, this one is fascinating. <laughs> I'm also happy that I don't have to introduce too much about it. So according to THR... Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach have been tapped to co-write the Barbie movie that stars Margot Robbie over at Warner Brothers, and Gerwig is also being eyed to direct. This is an unusual fit. This is the last direction I thought that they would go in for a movie like this. Does anyone feel otherwise? This is so weird, man. This is such a bizarre thing. I feel like the time to have attacked this was when the song came out, I'm a Barbie doll. That's when you, you know, I'm a Barbie girl. A Barbie Jabby. girl. Well, you know what I'm saying. That, that would have been the time. That would have been t- the time to you like the make a song, story. Jabby. Yeah, yeah but you, you get what I'm saying, right? I mean, because I looked at Noah Baumbach's profile on IMDb, and the only film of his that I finished is Madagascar no. Three. Oh, Madagascar Three. That's the only one. I loved Madagascar Three, but okay. I tried watching Life Aquatic. I got about 30 minutes in, and my brain just. I couldn't. And then uh, what was he did the Mayor Witch stories on Netflix. And Wes, I just, Wes Anderson is the yes, his, uh, is Life, Life Aquatic. Aquatic. But didn't he write? Didn't he write Life Aquatic also? Mm, okay, maybe I got my Wes facts wrong. Doesn't. I'll look at my IMDb did you see later. The Squid and the Whale. I didn't. Is it good? That that's is good. That's a great option. Yeah. Noah okay. Baumbach, that's a fantastic He's, film. He does okay, have but, a bunch of really great but films. But he did Mayor Witch stories, right? That was him on Netflix? Is that yes. it? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. he, wrote, he wrote that, and he also directed that. Mm-hmm. Um, he also directed Aquatic. Mistress America, I really like. I love While We're Young as well. Francis Ha, Greenberg. Those are all big winners. And then, of course, A Squid and the Whale as well. Yeah. Um, he, he did write uh, Life Aquatic with Wes Anderson. So okay, that was so a, so I you was not, fine there. I was not wrong. He just didn't direct it. Right? Y'all scared me for I mean, a second. When you talk about, myself. When you talk about <laughs> his writing credits, too, it's like there's standouts like Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. He definitely has so many great credits to his name. It's just when you pair him and Greta Gerwig together, and I think about the projects that they've worked on together, that doesn't necessarily say to me wide appeal studio level Barbie movie. Absolutely. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. For for me, someone who is well aware of this project and that it's happening, you don't really have to sell me on it. I'm just curious. I want to see what they do with a Barbie movie no matter what. I am a little more concerned, depending on how much they're spending on this movie, for the wide movie-going public. Mm -hmm. Is this going to be a four-quadrant film? Because we have to think about what the Barbie brand does for a company like Mattel also. And they want to appeal to the widest possible audience. And I can't necessarily say that most Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach movies do just that. But it could change with Little Women. I think, Yeah, and I think that's a fascinating point you make, Perry, because obviously Mattel has to have input on this thing. And so... It would be shocking to me that they're able to do a Barbie movie without Mattel's 
consent. And so uh, I guess casting Margot Robbie makes sense because it's a woman who's hot in terms of it being in demand and also very attractive. So people are going to see she's a mainstream <laughs> actress. People are go- That's part of the story. It's reality. No, I agree people with you. People are going to see this movie possibly for her. But it's not like she – I mean, Mary Queen of Scots didn't sell out the theaters. The other – what was the other one where she was the assassin? That didn't do so well either. Focus? Yeah. Oh, no, no. The one uh, that was last year. I forget what it was. She was there's like There's Focus. There's Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Yeah. There was another one-word one that she did that kind another of came and went. Kind of came and went. And so um, you look at the situation and you say, okay, is this going to work? But you've got Mumblecore here with Greta Gerwig and with Noah Baumbach. And although I enjoyed Lady Bird, I have not really enjoyed their collaborations because I don't really find Greta Gerwig that interesting as an actress. But as a director, certainly Lady Bird, she killed it. So if they're going to come together and Noah's going to write a quirky Wes Anderson type of film mm-hmm. with Greta Gerwig directing, starring Margot Robbie, then I have a little more unique interest because I love Wes Anderson stuff. My interest is peaked to see how they handle this Barbie, respecting it, but also making fun of the Barbie stuff. What's Are the- you thinking of Terminal? Yeah, Terminal. That was, I don't think that was a wide release so no, I, I wouldn't necessarily put that as like a knock on her resume that was yeah. going for a completely different audience than most of her other stuff That's fair. Do, we, do we know anything about the story about this at all no um, right um i don't believe so i don't think the, we have any specifics you, yet you said you mentioned budget earlier what was the budget of this you know or what oh, i have project? no clue this yeah. was a project that actually existed for a while over at sony and right. there were so many different people attached at a point i think there were rumors that patty jenkins was going to direct and i think that iteration i can't i think it was that was still the Margot Robbie iteration, but at a point there was Anne Hathaway and oh, it was yeah. Amy Schumer was the other name that was attached to play Barbie. So this has gone through one heck of an evolution. And really, even though it seems like an unusual fit to me right now, I do think the team of Gerwig, Bombach, and Robbie has a lot of potential. And yeah. she's not even just starring in it. She's also a producer. And I really respect what she's been doing as a, repro- a producer. Do you mean Gerwig or do you mean Robbie? Uh, Margot Robbie. Right, right, right. Basically pushing projects that usually wouldn't get made and I just get the sense from her that unless she has some like really valuable creative input and she gets really excited about a project for an important reason I, I don't think she would commit herself to it but who's this for though what, what audience that's, is this movie for that's my big question that's so confusing to me like are you appealing to the people who grew up with Barbie and or are you appealing to kids now like yeah. who are playing with these toys this I, is not a mainstream lineup yeah, yeah I don't understand why this isn't just an animation like they've done already <laughs> that's, oh. that's the Barbie like movie like a stop action one <gasps> I would love a stop well, motion no, Barbie stop motion movie Sorry, They've yeah. done like actually maybe I'm thinking of video games. They've had Barbie video games. Yes, they have. You know, you could just do something like that. An animation makes They've the had most Barbie amount of animated sense. animated series. Yeah, that's for that's sure. That's really yeah. all you need to do, and that'll make the money that you need to make with this. So what, Javid? What you're saying is they're overthinking this thing. Yes. <laughs> Why, who are you trying to sell to? Like it feels again. I keep using this word, but it's, it feels like virtue signaling all over again. Like who, who are you oh, trying to sell to? Yeah. Like why are you doing this? Just make like just go with what it is. They're trying you know? to be cool about something that is yeah. has been taking hits over the last few years for. Being a bad role model for young girls. This is an interesting game yeah. they're walking in, or minefield they're walking into. Yeah, yeah. And, and I hope they address things like that because yeah. even though this is an obvious brand that needs to have four quadrant appeal, if you take the easy route, moviegoers are smart enough that they're going to sniff you out. They're yeah. going to know that this is like flat and uninteresting and not worth their money. So I feel like they do have to be bold and daring. I'm just curious to know if the bold and daring right choice mm. was to hire Gerwig and Bombay. What if they did into the Barbie verse? Like, just like Spider-Verse, you know, you got your different kinds of Barbies. That would be nuts. That would be so much more entertaining than whatever this is going to be. Well, you don't I, know. <laughs> I thought that was, like, 
the most out of left field comment for a hot second when you said it. And then I started to think about it that actually there's mm. something there. Multiple like, Barbies and multiple universes. Especially mm. because growing up, there was a Barbie for every profession, a Barbie for every person out there. It's yeah. like, what Barbie do you identify with? I can't talk about this anymore. Well, the Barbie in Toy Story 4, that was great as well. Or in Toy Story 1, 2, and 3. But that Barbie was fantastic. I and like then, that Barbie. Yeah. I thought and then she was having awesome. Ken do his little runway show for her. That was that was a great way of making fun of the situation while still respecting them. So I wonder what they can do live action wise with this. Because this could be like Bratz and that turned out terrible. Yeah. I, mean, I would rather watch right. the Pixar clips of Barbie stitched together for 12 hours on end. Like, uh, what's that movie with... <laughs> Jesus oh, no. Was the, he was tortured with the eyes open, uh, Clockwork Orange. Oh, like, yeah. I'd rather do that than watch whatever this is going to be. How did we get there? I think the conclusion <laughs> yeah. here is that I prefer Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a kid anyway. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's take yes. one Twitter question before we close this out from Steve Calderon, who's asking, It Chapter 2 is tracking to become the biggest opening for an R-rated movie at $136 million. Do you believe the sequel will break the record? I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, how often do sequels break records if it's not Marvel? Like, does it happen? I, all that Dark Knight. I broke... do not have a chart handy. But Dark Knight. I think Dark Knight bested uh, Batman Begins. I'm, I'm fairly certain yes. it well, did. Well, a good example to bring up is probably Deadpool and Deadpool Two. In which case, it didn't best the original. But right now, for R-rated releases, those are the two movies that gotcha. hold the number one and two spot on the charts. I don't know because the the first one was like, oh, it's back. This is awesome. It's, the second one is like, oh, we we've, we've been here. And Jessica Chastain's mm. taking front and center. Yeah. And I, I heard something like complaints about it online. I didn't dive too deep into it, but that she's taking like the attention of it when it's supposed to be a team thing. I've, I'm, maybe I misunderstood. Oh. You know what I'm talking I don't, about? Yeah, I, I don't know about that. that. Seems a bit nitpicky, but I see that. No, I'm, not, I'm not voicing yeah, yeah, that complaint. No, yeah, I'm I'm like, Beth has to... such a powerful story, too, though. Yeah. It's like, I mean, she does take, it is a group story in the book as well, but she does take the spotlight, and it's a really powerful arc that she has. So I've got okay. no problem seeing her dead center in the posters. And she's the only girl in that group, so she's going to have to have, and a woman in that group when they get older, so she has to have that kind of spotlight on her because of that situation. Um, Mike, I think, gets short shrift at being the only black black member of the crew might get a little bit of the short trip in my opinion in the story we'll see how they address that into but i think i think it will absolutely destroy the first one in terms of box office because of the cast the cast is huge and also they and you didn't have that for the first one and also Muschietti coming back and them continuing the story and the kids people have an interest and people just rediscovered this on home video on whatever you know who maybe didn't go see the theater and so I think it'll come out and it'll be huge right. and horror's been blowing up like crazy anyway for once I'm going to agree with you on something <laughs> I actually have very high hopes again the kids they're they're phenomenal yeah. and they're a sensation and people will go and see just the kids and now you add this all star adult cast too it's that one two punch that's just undeniable and I think that it left people in a place where they're wanting more. And then when you look at the release date calendar, and this doesn't necessarily speak to opening weekend, but I think this bodes well for the entire film's run. Actually, this first part does bode well for its opening weekend. I think the only big release before it is Hobbs and Shaw. So it's got this huge wide gap where there's no big summer blockbuster type movie. So it is in prime position yet again to earn a crazy amount of money at the very beginning of September. And then after that, it has so much breathing room before we get the Joker movie that this thing could pile on a ton of money and be another huge success. All right, I've changed my mind. Okay. Well, my job is done here. I have convinced Jabby of something he didn't believe before. All right. We are going to say goodbye. Jabby, as always, it is a pleasure having you Thank here. You. Roka, you as well. You work super hard and you're awesome. Thank you. 
Adam in the booth. Is Adam back there now? You rock. Thank you for all your hard work, too. Guys, I hope you are keeping an eye on the channel. We have so much Comic-Con content coming your way. And on top of that, we are recording a new movie talk tomorrow in San Diego. So guess what? I expect you to be right back here tomorrow, 3 p.m. PT, for a new episode. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. What's up? It's Kevin Hart. And with new rewards from Chase Freedom Unlimited, I now earn even more cash back, even on a beach getaway. I earn 3% of drugstores on beach snacks. Hmm, these chips have some saying on them. I earn 3% on dining, including takeout, after a seagull eats all my chips. And I earn 5% on travel purchased through Chase, like a hotel room to hide from that seagull. Learn more at ChaseFreedom.com. Chase, make more of what's yours. Account subject to credit approval. Restrictions, limitations apply. Offer subject to change. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC.